Hello everyone and welcome to episode 102 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Tales from the American Heartland and an early Dave Ryan game of 2018, Horizon Zero Dawn celebrates one year in the wild, a mixed bag of PS Plus news, with debts in their millions all under one roof, it's called Toys R Us, and our book club this week takes us into the weird history of games based on sometimes terrible movies, it's Judge Dredd, let's start the show. from Link to the Cast.eu, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, or Stitcher. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am every week, walking in this winter wonderland by Mark Robinson. Do you know, it's come to my attention that my weeks are so manic with the stuff that I need to do, that these kind of two hours that I put aside for the podcast are actually like my sort of come down to just relax and mm-hmm. not kind of worry about... Everything else in life. Yeah, you've got a bit going on. Yeah, at the moment, not yeah. not just like work stuff, but your uh, this, life this, stuff. This is probably our last in studio podcast for quite some time. <laughs> oh, it's emotional. It's emotional. Uh, we kind of gilded the lily. We we talked about it, um, explaining your absence on one hundred and one last week with uh, Brian. Thanks again, Brian, for for filling Cheers, in Brian. last week. Uh, that you are moving, my friend. Indeed, up to the big smoke. Dublin, uh, sort of the hinterland, just slightly outside the big shop. Yeah, in the yuppie commuter belt of Dublin. Yeah, damn right, where I belong. Yeah, with my <laughs> damn people. Right, yuppie as fuck. <laughs> yeah, how's it going? How's the? How are we feeling? Uh, fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, hyped to have a bed. I'm very hyped to have a bed. Um, I'm slightly concerned about um, the beast from the east. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, the other big thing that's going on this wh- week, which may cause uh, an issue or two. Yeah. Um, that you know, I can't really do anything about that, and just mm-hmm. got to see how the weather turns out over Friday and Saturday. But mm. yeah, I've been looking out the window today, and at some point, I'm like, <laughs> did I just transport to Siberia? So yeah, Ireland is under like a foot I mean, and a half of snow at the like moment. With the UK and Ireland, yeah, this part of the country in a very very rare moment, um, the part of the country that we're in on the east coast is getting the worst of it. Normally. Galway, West Coast, Cork, Southern Coast. Yeah, they get it. I mean, because I presume it's like like coming in from the West and the Atlantic, mm-hmm. but this has come from the East. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, it's a snowstorm. It started yesterday as we were recording this, so it was kind of a little bit during the day, and people were kind of laughing it off. Saying, yeah, I, some people were laughing it off, and then the other part of the country decided that bread was <laughs> like. I saw it so many places, like, this is a typical Ireland response, because we don't have that many weather emergencies here. It's generally quite a temperate climate most of the year round. Sure. So when a weather emergency happens, it's fucking bedlam. Uh, not so, like sometimes the government responds is bedlam, but mostly it's the public create the bedlam because they don't know what to be doing. Yeah, I so, mean, we have a little bit of that back home as So well. when the tropical storm happened uh, over the winter, mm. uh, Ophelia, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. it was called, people panicked then. Yeah. Um, Eight years ago, we had uh, the biggest snowfall of my lifetime until now, um, and that fell over the course of a week, and it was still less than this. Mm. And the actual country itself ran out of grit for the roads. 
Because we just never have snow. Yeah. Um, now we have a bit of snow. and Well, right now we have a lot of snow. But kind of since then we've had a bit of snow every I, winter. I don't know if you have it, but we there's this um, predictable cycle when, like, when we have snow back home where um, there will be the lead up to snow happening. There will be the actual snow itself. There will be the front uh, page newspapers all saying, hey, look, there's snow. Then there will be the next day of where's all the grit. Well, there's this much grit, but there's not enough grit. And then the process kind of repeats itself. And we have this every single time that we have any kind of snow. Do you have this in that kind of pattern? Or is it just literally, oh, wait, there's no grit, see, whatever? Yeah, you see, that it doesn't happen regularly enough for it to be a pattern. Like, this is literally the second time we've needed a lot of grit mm. in my lifetime. I mean, I um, think we we certainly, at points, we've gone a bit uh, OTT when it comes mm-hmm. to, to grit in the roads. Not that I'm going to complain about having more grit than less. Mm. There was a great uh, video that went up of a town in Leash today where uh, a truck went out on the road to grit the roads. And about 20 seconds behind it followed a street sweeper sweeping up all the grit. <laughs> like clearly the street sweeper unaware that the grit truck had just been through. Oh my God. It was the most keystone cops kind of. But um, yeah, so everybody in the most typically Irish response not knowing what we should get in the event of an emergency because we've been told not to leave our houses for the next two days uh-huh. basically. Um, it's a red weather warning a national emergency uh, all public transport links have been shut down uh-huh, now uh-huh. so we're kind of stranded in the town um, and there were people who were told if they had to leave by car from any time after yesterday afternoon that they should bring food and a sleeping bag because they should expect to be stranded <laughs> in their car <laughs> that's how bad it is um, and Irish people's response uh, to this now we were also to expect rolling blackouts at some point yeah. over like Thursday and Friday when we get the worst of it but um, the, the typically Irish response is to hoard perishable food uh, mainly bread yeah bread. well bread and milk are the but bread is the one that actually created news stories yeah. now the bread has been completely restocked today so I don't know why there was such a big run on it but this was requiring like actual statements coming out from like bakeries the the big kind of like <laughs> bakeries in the country just going no no don't worry we've got more coming don't worry about it we uh, want your money I went to a supermarket yesterday and it was true like not a slice of bread to be had yeah I mean it was I, I went to Tesco earlier today and yeah. um, besides the fact that it was quite busy and they were quite yeah. nice they'd clearly taken one of the, the clothing racks uh, they mm-hmm. have for their clothing section yeah. and they'd left it at the front so like people could hang up like any kind of wet clothes or stuff oh, as they went around yeah. which was quite nice of them yeah um, so yeah this kind of stuff just we we'll, we'll I... just have to stay in now it's fine like once we don't have blackouts we'll be it'll be there's no real inconvenience there. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you're, you guys are able to work from home. Uh, yeah, I've, I've worked remote today. It's no you fuss. Know. I mean, it's a waste of 50 quid on my rail pass that I bought yesterday, yeah. but there what you go. You what are you going to do? Uh, it's the young wife's birthday on Friday, so it'll be a bit shit if we don't get to go. I have stuff planned. We were going to go up to see a film as part of the Dublin International Film yeah. Festival, which Never I imagine is not going fantastically. Mm. Although, like, it's not on until Friday night, and the national emergency ends Friday midday. Yeah. So That also means that the snow has to be cleared in that time. But the rails will be cleared pretty quickly so we could get a train up and down because it would be finished in time to get a train back as well but uh it's it's a matter of wait and see mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like it's it's only a film we can always reschedule right i'm already bored talking about snow but uh yeah so snow and moving how's the packing going because i haven't seen I mean, you that much you can see it in front of i you. can see yes yeah, some of the packing is there yeah you, you had an intense session of trying to figure out what to throw what to keep what yeah to pack. and i've done that a few times now in the last kind of five years mm-hmm. so getting inside of it yeah uh, you, the first time I moved out um, of my grandparents, I had to throw away f- about five years worth of Power Slam magazines 
and Kerrang! magazines. Oh, uh, Finn Martin will be I, devastated we wherever he is. And I swear to wherever God, he is Dilberry and TNA. I had a, a <laughs> stack and... Was it Chris Jericho he didn't like or was it John Cena? I think it was Jericho. I think it was both of them. Possibly. I remember like they used to print a lot of letters in that that had like witty limericks slagging off. Mm. I remember there was a guy who rewrote, re- rewrote John Cena's Bad Bad Man to be bad bad match and they printed the entire lyrics well, to the song wrestling banter uh-huh. but yeah i had two stacks that were about the size of a small child um <laughs> so they had to go obviously but like i've got a bunch of boxes in your shed that haven't been opened since i moved over here uh so to my surprise when i opened the fur box and found first box and found a 200 quid camera that i'd completely forgotten about yeah. which i brought over here the first time i came to visit you yeah. uh, and i'm pretty sure i still have like <laughs> Two or three pictures of Dublin. <laughs> Just remembering the the circumstances of that trip. In regards to, there were remember there was a pattern. The first two times you came over here, what was that? You a relationship came to a screeching oh, halt yeah. both times. <laughs> Different ones. Yeah. Well, you know, like it's literally good... within days before you were about to fly over here. Ireland is a good form of escapism. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good palate cleanser. I mean, yeah, anyway. Um, but it's fine. I mean, yeah, again, I have a lot of stuff already packed, so there's not really too much of an issue. Um, it'll be just probably getting a flat pack unit set for the, the new room yeah um and then a couple of like uh, new bed sheets and bits and pieces but other than that shouldn't be too much stress it's just going to be yeah like we were moving. able to guess we were able to get all your earthly possessions in one van yeah so and it wasn't and a wasn't big van. huge van no. no no it wasn't like a transit or anything like that it was a smallish van. and that also included about 25 bottles of uh yeah you're damn right zero lemon zero <laughs> lemon zero oh i've legitimately <laughs> talked with my girlfriend about like getting the ferry over I'm to that tesco not surprised but, by this well, one because there are like they'll they'll do day trips to hollyhead for 27 euro yeah and I'm specifically like, to get Fanta lemon I'm zero like, do you know what? it's on the ticket <laughs> like um but yeah, um, so that's going to be an interesting weekend for you. Like, uh, I'm sure, like if it, if if it truly does, if the weather truly does end by Friday, it shouldn't be that big a deal. Yeah. But if they're wrong, they have been wrong so far because considerably more has already fallen than they thought, yeah. which means they're well, really the, worried now. The main issue as well is just getting Laura's car to here because the back road is basically, I doubt that's going to happen. So you'd have to be going mm-hmm. through Dublin or into Dublin it, and back out. It, but... it kind of, because there's no, na- there's sort of national guidelines for it, but it will depend a lot here on the local authority. So whatever Westmead County Council decide to do with their grit is what will happen whether yeah. they decide to do the back roads or not is because yeah. here in Kildare they do the back roads all the time yeah um, but like Laura lives in an area that let's be honest will not be kind of the first response in terms of getting it cleared and gritted as, as I often say about some places in Kildare the, the arsehole of nowhere is arsehole of nowhere yeah. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't give her that it's just she is in the middle of nowhere yeah. uh, but other than that I went home last weekend yeah. back to the motherland mm-hmm. I went to see Hellas for Heroes a band you aware of at all? I am aware of but haven't listened um, so I I haven't listened to them in a good long time. It's Cardinal Robinson and Lazel Sin for me to have committed, doesn't it? Nah. Jack was already appalled enough of me that I'd never seen Moneyball when we did uh, Popcorn Social this week. Moneyball? Uh, the Brad Pitt movie. Uh, it came up on Popcorn okay. Social, which should be posting later this week, hopefully. Um, uh, but yeah, that was one of the bands like from our child- childhood and... Um, uh, basically, they'd announced the gig, uh, like 15th anniversary of their debut album, 
and I'd just been made like full time and got my first full time paycheck through, and mm-hmm. so I was like, "Yeah, impulse purchase." So I was like, "Sure, February, fuck it, I'll come in for the weekend." Yeah. You weren't going to be a, you weren't aware of like the confluence of events that you'd be quite busy with. Well, things. You know, that's yeah. just how life goes. That's how you do um, zero to ninety. But yeah, yeah, all right, and then back down to like minus thirty. <laughs> but it was uh, it was cool. They were good and. Um, I had a really convenient trip home in a way that I was convinced that the bus was going to explode because, mm. like, I was at the front of the plane. Um, there was no delay. We discussed the Dallas curse on this podcast we have. before. We have definitely <laughs> discussed the Dallas curse since we went to Dallas numerous times. Where on the way over we were delayed for three days, um, well, two and a half. Um, we have been cursed. Where I think this journey that you took now is the first flawless journey involving air travel any of the four participants in, uh, in amsterdam. the dallas trip amsterdam was fine as was well it? yeah what about krakow for you was that um i think it was delayed a little going over that's but not... it's one of the kind of like it's margin of error delays where it's like it's ryanair delayed so it's only like uh, 20 minutes or I, w- so. I wouldn't um but yeah i've had some bad ones um since dallas with this dallas curse like when i was stranded on a runway in prague for three hours in the blistering yeah, heat i've had a couple of horror I ha- shows I as had well hard water because yeah. i had heard horror stories from flies about people being stuck on and getting dehydrated and stuff uh, like that good and times. i was just like right immediately when they told us okay we don't know how long the flight is going to be delayed and uh we can't let you off because we need to be ready to go you know cool. if, a, if a gap opens up uh, for taxiing we need to go yeah um so i mean there they said you can still purchase beverages from the drink cart about three bottles of water please <laughs> <laughs> i can see this going south in a hurry yeah. i mean the, the biggest um, issue i had in this flight was that the woman next to me was watching me play celeste and was getting deeply uncomfortable about the entire situation do, do you get that like do you get kind of um when people are over your shoulder when you're playing a game or watching something on your tablet on a flight are you just like oh, um, not really, because I don't really yeah. give a fuck. Yeah, like I generally don't, but like, there's like some... in a way that Fred Durst would not give a fuck. Yeah. You know, I, I'm I, I I'm less picky about um games than I am. Like if I'm watching something, especially with something I haven't seen before, I'm just sitting there just watching it. And if I can feel someone is looking at the screen, I'm just like, right. What are the odds that there is like some sort of graphic nudity in this show? Because I don't want to, out of context, I may look like a pervert. If all of a sudden this person looks over the aisle and there's just a set of tits flying across the screen, I mean, I, and I'm just sitting there. I watched just the in- like intently focused. I watched the entirety of uh, Fast and Furious Seven through the screen of another person next to me, <laughs> um, which also means I didn't get the sound. So I, yeah. you know, I. Uh, well, that's the thing. Without sound and context, like if you just see some, like graphic nudity, you on know the screen, what? You know what? I'm pretty sure even without sound and context, Final, Fa- uh, Final Fantasy Seven, Fast and Furious Seven, yeah, Fast is and Furious, you know, the same is. experience either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't be one of those guys because I always marvel at the idea that in airport news agents you can still buy adult magazines. I've never seen that. Oh before. yeah, you really? can. Oh yeah, you I'm can. I'm sure you can get like loaded because and it's stuff, al- but... it's always been a thing that's fascinating. It's like who goes? Do you know what would make this flight perfect? <laughs> a big wank. <laughs> like uh, I will say, the one thing that I do still get a little bit. Uh, about is wrestling. Like I can't watch wrestling with someone. Funny enough, I don't care about that. <laughs> See, I don't know. I don't know. There's something about wrestling that I still find it quite awkward if someone is next to me. There's something about wrestling that I think they'd be more embarrassed I think than I would be. <laughs> I think it's because I will give the perception that I'm a wrestling fan. Yeah. And that's... I don't... Because the person who doesn't watch wrestling and what their perception of a wrestling fan is, I do not want to have that perception. 
Well, that's why you should stop wearing your Brimo t-shirt on airplane. This is true. (laughs) Okay, shall we? we Yeah, okay. (laughs) Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Hey, Mark, you been playing anything new? Um, okay, so I did actually, I downloaded the, the demo of um, Puyo Puyo Tetris. Yeah! And uh, it kicked my ass. Yeah. Man. That game hates you, doesn't it? It does. You know what? I've never, I mean, I've played Tetris before, but I've never, you know, played Tetris. Uh-huh. Um, so I was really aiming to get, like, the four blocks, the four rows at a time to a tet- clear. Yeah, a, a, a Tetris. Tetris, yeah. Uh, I never really played it like that before, so that yeah. was... Um, that was giving me some trouble. Uh, but the whole presentation of that game is really cool. Oh, it's great. Story I mean, it's, it's anime as fuck. Yeah. Um, in the worst kind of way. But uh, that was cool. Um, I also down. I just went through like all the demos that are on the the Switch store. Uh, there was a game you, called. Was there the actual? Did you play the Puyo Puyo Tetris where it's both? Yes, I did. Uh, which version? Where it's where they'll drop randomly, or where at intervals it will switch? Uh, because. It, the one where it'll just switch pieces rather than it'll just switch you between boards yeah. is much worse. Uh, I just I did the one where it uh, just just switches. Yeah. It'll just go to a, yeah. Like, yeah everything yeah. will turn to puyo puyo after yeah, a while. Yeah. Okay, so there's one that's the next one up from that is the one where like four pieces of Tetris will fall and then all of a sudden you'll just get puyos for ages oh. and the puyos won't clear the Tetris blocks. Okay. So you're having to play both games and uh, keep a well at the side for your Tetris but it's so fucking difficult. No, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. I am good. Um, I downloaded a game called Oceanhorn which looked quite kind of Wind Waker-ish and mm-hmm. wasn't and I didn't sit with for very long. It's kind of an isometric view um like kind of action adventure type game but I don't know wasn't really feeling it um, and then still playing Celeste so I'm onto the seasides now in Celeste uh, let me tell you so you don't like to be beside the seaside I fucking love to be beside the seasides they are my jam oh so the game has gone I mean it's still like frustrating so the game has its kind of main story mode and I feel like the last two times I've tried to talk to you about this game there's been a distraction where it's been the cat smashing a glass or something oh. else <laughs> Um, but I've told you uh, in some detail that like the main story mode is really cool because it's it is like a kind of Meat Boy Rayman Origins type platform game, but it does have this really sweet story that does explore uh, like anxiety and depression and kind of oneself, mm-hmm. um, and and does a really good job of kind of mixing a balance between the platforming and the, the story, um, and I would recommend that alone for for actually playing the game yeah um and then there are the b-sides which are you know if you you've played super meat boy to some degree i think yeah a little bit until i started to cry yes you know you have the dark worlds where it's like the level but it's a harder version of that level Mm -hmm. yeah so it's kind of like that so there's a b-side in each level when it's in a really kind of far away locked off location once you get it it unlocks the harder version of that so in all of the worlds there's like one crystal heart uh, that you have to collect and once you have them um you can go to what's called uh the core which is um not a faction led by wade barrett <laughs> that everyone has equal uh rights mm-hmm. it's uh the, the the last level of the game effectively 
and again there's an easy there's the original version and then there's the the dark world version for lack of a better term uh the first version you need four hearts from any of the levels to get through and then the uh, dark world version you need all of the crystals once you have all of them and once you've completed dark world version of the core that unlocks the seasides which is just you know the most extreme version of those levels they're really really short there's only like kind of four rooms if you want to call them like four uh screens screens sure um per level but you will probably spend the longest amount of time on them out of anything you will do in the game mm-hmm. uh on a typical level which would take maybe 45 minutes and you'll die maybe about 200 times i was on this at points for a good few hours and died about 500 times um no <laughs> but it's it, it what I like about it is it takes like because each um, level has a, a core mechanic and it you know explores that me- mechanic to its most extreme degrees and you think it does that within like the B side levels but then it takes the C side levels and it, it goes even further with it very much in a um, I want to be the guy type environments where there's just spikes all around the screen and you're having to use your um, uh, boost ability to kind of maneuver and it's i feel i feel pretty awesome playing it especially when i finish a level um yeah celeste is awesome celeste is really really awesome um and that's pretty much it i want to have that finished hopefully within the next i mean jesus this week's out of the question but hopefully by next week i'll have that finished so um Maybe I'll get Owlboy. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's come out on the Switch recently. Mm-hmm. The Blob just dropped on it. Oh, well. yeah, The yeah. Blob. I remember yeah. The Blob. Um, anyway, what about you? What have you been playing? So, mostly this week, I've been still playing my... I talked about uh, with Brian about it. Uh, I'm doing my 1999 mode playthrough of Bioshock Infinite. You've done this before. I Yeah, but I figured, when the, uh, I figured out when the PS4 versions of the Bioshock games came out that the trophies didn't stack, which means I can get two Platinums. Ah. So, I, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I About two years ago... No, longer, because you didn't live here at this no, point. Because no, no, no. I did it in the sitting room with, with Brian... Um, he was the Liz to my booker. He watched out with my peripherals to see what I was missing out on loot-wise, and I did my 1999 mode playthrough on the PS3, and I got my platinum. <clears throat> and it's been—I haven't played Bioshock Infinite since because playing it to com- to not to completely retread, but to get your platinum trophy on that game, you have to complete it on 1999 mode, and you have to not use the dollar bill machine which is the machine that restocks your ammo and health, mm-hmm. so you have to scrounge for everything. Which, in fairness, is like 50% of that game. But anyway. It's very, very, very difficult to find everything you need. Um, and the thing that makes 1999 mode even difficult, apart from the fact that everything is now a bullet sponge except you, uh, <laughs> is the fact that um, every time you die, you lose 100 coins. And if you don't have 100 coins, like a 100... Silver, silver eagles if you don't have 100 silver eagles you get kicked back to the start of the chapter there's also no autosave mode in between chapters uh, and no directional arrow to let you know where you're going that last part doesn't really matter to me because I played the game so many times I know exactly where I'm going at all times I could probably draw a pretty detailed map of all of Colombia I've played it that much um, that is a really difficult mode because <laughs> like, there is a lot of action in that game I have just gotten through 
I I only have one really difficult fight left in the whole game because I've just beaten what even on normal mode is probably the hardest part of the game and that's the the fights with Lady Comstock mm. um, across downtown Emporia. You fight her three times the Bank of the Prophet uh, in the graveyard and in front of Comstock House and I've beaten her all three times um, lost a hell of a lot of money <laughs> and ammo and patience <laughs> but I did it. Uh, so the only thing that's left is that ridiculously difficult airship battle right before all the really cool end story stuff. Oh, is that where Sungbird is... Uh, where you're directing Songbird to take down the blimps uh, yeah. and there's like all patriots and stuff dropping onto the deck of the ship and they're walking up and you have to protect the core. Yeah, I I really hate that kind of, not shoehorned, but those kind of tower defense sections in games. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm fine with tower defense when that's the core mechanic of the game. Yeah, I, I think, that section really pissed me yeah, off. I think the only problem with that is the fact that it's the only time you have to do that in the whole game. Yeah. If you had, had to do it even once before so that you were at least used to, because what makes that battle much easier is using vigor traps everywhere so Mm. that they're like you don't even have to be watching uh if you're not using vigor traps it's really really difficult because as you're firing at one enemy another one has dropped onto another part of the deck and they've started walking and you can't even see them walk up on the core all of a sudden the core is taking damage yeah because like do you remember they had the the tail defense bits in uh gears of war 4 yeah and they kind of pissed me off, but still, like, the Gears of War, the way that game plays, it's it's mm. designed in a way where you can do tower defense, yeah. you know. Well, so is Bioshock, but the problem is that there isn't, because it's only done once, the normal mode on that game doesn't encourage you to use the versatility no, of No, you powers. can't just brute force it. Yeah, you can't... Uh, but on 1999 mode, oh, you right. have to use like all these. Like I find myself using every single vigor in my collection, uh, stuff that I would never have used on normal mode because I never needed to. Sure. One that's really handy because you lose your shield all the time, even when you fully upgraded it, because so much fire is going on you that your shield will break. There's a there's a vigor called return to sender, where as long as you're holding down the trigger button, all bullets get absorbed into this shield. So you're not getting hit. It gives your shield time to recharge. And as soon as your shield is recharged, you let it go and all the bullets explode out Ah. and hit everybody. So So, for that brief period of time, you are Kevin Bacon. Yeah, pretty much. Um, But so like that's Bioshock. Anyway, I talk enough about Bioshock on this show. The, The new game I've been playing and it only just dropped today. Mark is a game that's on Steam and Linux uh, called Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. All right. Um, and this is, let me just get the, uh, what's the name of the studio? Um, bah, 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 Dimbold Games. Um, he It was founded by Janeman Nordhagen. I don't know if you know the name. He was nope. basically the chief uh, designer on Gone Home. Uh, like okay. not writer, but actual designer. Right. Um, and this is a game about American folklore and you play a kind of, uh, what's the word I'd use? Like a drifter who is cursed. Uh, You lose a card game against a man with the head of a wolf and he curses you. It's in the depression era America and he curses you to wander the land collecting stories. You become like the Johnny Appleseed people have uh, kind of described it as a Johnny Appleseed of folklore where you go around the country you collect these stories you interact with characters in a kind of interactive novel sort of way or interactive kind of like walking sim kind of thing um, you collect their folklore you go other places and by swapping st- your stories are your currency here and it helps you get like so say you go over here and you interact with somebody you get to hear their whole life story you could bring that story now back to somewhere somewhere else and because you now have that information it could facilitate you finding out more things somewhere else interesting um 
each section, each character's arc is written by a different person. And the reason this came across my radar is because one of the segments, um, based on a, a priest, I haven't gotten to it yet in the game, but uh, one of the characters, a priest, is written by uh, editor-in-chief of Waypoint, Austin Walker, a.k.a. LeBron Games. Um, he wrote one of the segments. There's a bunch of names I kind of recognize, at least, uh who have written characters but he's the one who stands out um uh, that i'm most familiar with and the the art style of the game is brilliant like it is this kind of like it really is evocative of depression era that kind of like the times of ghosts and legends and across the american heartland um the soundtrack is fucking pitch perfect for that era like that that music obviously no one at home can hear that music i was playing on spotify when i came into the room to set up is the soundtrack to that game right, right. um so it really is like just in your head think think of like the soundtrack to oh brother where art though it's that kind of a, a, sure. a thing um i just have a like a thing to, to read out of this just to kind of um to give you a kind of Susan, shall we say, of mm-hmm. what's going on in this game uh, way better than I could. I, I took this from the Eurogamer review. Um, and there's an interesting thing in this. I, I talked about the man with the head of the wolf. Listen out for this. So the task of collecting and spreading these stories becomes yours when your character, a nameless vagrant, loses a poker game to a man with the head of a wolf, voiced with whiskery glamour by the one and only Sting. As in musician Sting. Huh. So the police Sting. Okay. Uh, demanding service as payment for your debt the wolfman strips the flesh from your bones and turns you loose upon the continent as a walking skeleton immortal though still somewhat subject to the effects of hunger and fatigue he asks you to track down the stories of those lost in the folds of the big story lives ground up in the wheels of the American dream these take the form of fellow drifters you'll encounter at campfires each written by a different writer who trusts you slowly earn by passing on stories of your own it creates a strange dynamic whereby entertaining lies are a currency traded for morsels of painful insight increasing in value the less truthful they become Uh, there are over 200 of those smaller stories in the game to witness in detail and it's basically you wander around this kind of 3D map of the the American heartland and then when you go into the stories um they take on these kind of more bespoke and hand drawn cutscene kind of like almost like a telltale game where there's like a call and response like they'll tell a bit of their story and you have two possible or whatever ways you can go with something where you can this, either tell the truth continue to lie is this uh know. first or third person uh <laughs> it's when you're walking second person it's sort of like when you're walking around the American heartland it's like a top it's it's like an almost like an asymmetric view of yours you can see the ske- your skeleton that you're directing around but when it goes in it's literally just your kind of bird's eye view of their their of these it's, it's really hard to describe without seeing it but it's just like there are these drawings that you're looking at it's not even like a really thoroughly rendered cutscene. it's okay. just like really really beautifully drawn images with the the story underneath and there's full voice acting and stuff underneath it as well um it's just a really bizarre game um i really really like it because i'm a big fan of that kind of interactive fiction sort of thing and i think the idea of using a story as currency uh, is brilliant and placing um a story at that time where like vagrants would wander from town to town and this is how legends of old america spread around as people just telling strangers before there was a google to look at and stories getting embellished over time and things like that is it the kind of game that's going to really piss off a red pill gamer type person um i would say so because 
uh, well, some of the narratives are about like kind of oppressed minorities and things like that. Like uh, seemingly, the story Austin Walker tells takes a very dark uh, turn and and talks about racial issues and sure. prejudices in that. You can't really get around depression era America without talking about that sort of stuff. I can't really get around America. Yeah, so it's yeah, there are some issues that are discussed. This isn't going to be for everybody again because it's not exactly like you're shooting stuff or jumping on stuff or anything like that, but. Um, in terms of a story, it's it's absolutely enthralling. It, the aesthetic is it, it's just perfect for what it is. Um, I really like it. Most reviews seem to be skewing very very positive on it. There's a couple that are kind of oh, I didn't really get it. Kind no, of. but it, I mean that kind of that type of game yeah. is very much going to be. I mean, all, obviously, all reviews are subjective, but you definitely have to be in tune with what that game is yeah, doing. Yeah, and when there's so many different writers writing individual characters, they're all going to have a different feel. So if you sure. encounter ones that are written by certain people where you're not vibing off the characters, it doesn't mean there aren't ones that won't that you won't love. But if you get, I imagine, if you get a bunch of kind of you encounter a bunch of characters in a row, you're like, I don't really enjoy this story. That you'll probably bounce off it much quicker. But I really like it. Thoroughly recommend it. Um, I think this is already an early uh, game being filled out for me in like the best music and best style categories how for, much time you put into it um a couple hours today like it literally only dropped around lunchtime today okay. as we're recording this but i will have played significantly more of it soon um, cool. but the music is the thing that I'm, I'm already taking away big time as a really 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 just pleasant thing to listen to sure um yeah that's the where the water tastes like wine available now it's only 15 quid as well nice so it's pretty it's pretty reasonable and the because there's so little of it is kind of 3d rendered um you could probably run it on most laptops you wouldn't need a like a proper big home pc build for yeah. it um maybe i could yeah. even play it on my macbook <laughs> indeed uh anyway let's talk about uh what's going on in the world of gaming in the news news on the mark So, Mark, I don't know if you got this email this afternoon from Sony, but as of March 8th, 2019, PS3 and PlayStation Vita games will be dropped from PlayStation Plus offers. Um, Now, uh, the email is kind of nebulous. It says, like, the kind of... The gist of it is PS3 and PS Vita are the past. PS4 is what we're dealing with, so you're going to get your two PS4 games a month, and that's going to be it after March of 2019. Um... It seems to still be the case, as it should be, that you will still have access to your PS3 and PS Vita, PS Plus games once your PS Plus subscription is still active, obviously. Uh, they're not going to just permanently lock you out of them, um, although that remains to be fully clarified. I didn't really... I'll have a, I'll, I'll keep an eye at this, at this email now, but um, the... Um, what do you think of this? This this seems to be like this is the the inevitable side effect of progress. Like we we all know the PS3 because the PS4 is out as a thing of the past. Yeah, I mean, um, and the Vita has been on life support if even <laughs> for God knows how long. Yeah, it doesn't come as a surprise. Uh, I think the surprising thing is maybe that it lasted um, so long. Well, partially that, but partially that. Um, Sony are not giving any incentive, whether it's just like an extra additional game or or something. Um, now, obviously, not everyone has a PS4, a PS3, and a PS Vita. Um, yeah, those games will stay in your collection. The PS3 yeah, I would have thought so. Games. So, um, you know, someone that, someone that only has a PS4 
the fact that they're dropping PS3 and PS Vita doesn't really make a blind bit of difference. Yeah. But say me for example, I have a Vita, not that I can mm-hmm. play it, but I do have one. Um, and I, I'm losing out on something here. Um, considering Microsoft in the few places where they do win when it comes to this kind of stuff, which is games with gold and backwards compatibility, um, it would have been in Sony's interest just to have a little extra something to make up for what has been lost. Yeah. But I, I don't think at, at the end of the day it makes that much difference. I don't think it makes a huge dent. Um, and you know, it had to happen at some point. So yeah, like, but it, do we do we really officially do we call this the death now of the PS Vita? Uh, yeah, well, I, I think that that time was quite some time ago. We've had prolonged death nails of the PS Vita. They just refuse to admit it. That's, yeah. that's the only thing. Everybody but Sony uh, <laughs> knows it's dead. But uh, yeah, so that that's kind of it's it's a it's a change that had to come. Really, mm. um, it was going to come sooner or later. Uh, you can't it's just at a certain point it's a money sink keeping up server space so people can still download these free games every month um, now it would be nice if by 2019 that's pinned with a oh now we have our own backwards compatibility we'll finally throw in the towel on PlayStation now so you can have some PS3 games that would be nice because could... again that, that makes the offer worse than the Xbox version who are giving you two 360 games available on your Xbox One every month. I keep forgetting the PlayStation now is a thing. Yeah, yeah. It still is, somehow. 30 yeah. quid a month I think it is, isn't it? Something like that. Fucking madness. Uh, speaking of PlayStation Plus, uh, March 2018 is going to be probably the best month for PlayStation Plus in quite some time uh, as we're getting the double header of Ratchet & Clank, the, the rather excellent uh, soft reboot of Ratchet & Clank. Um, the game semi-based on the movie, semi-based on the original game from, was it two years ago? Uh, it wasn't long yeah, after it was, you moved it. Yeah, it was 2016. Yeah, uh, and Bloodborne from Software's mm. uh, Souls-like uh, Lovecraftian horror. Some people who will arguably say is the greatest game on the PS4. Yeah, some people... I am not one of those people. No, but enough people I actually generally do respect the opinions of think it is that I'm just like, oh, fair enough. I tried it once and just not for me. And I'll probably try it again next week because I'm an idiot. But (laughs) But hey, you ain't got to pay for it this time. It's a game that I said it to you as like I've always really appreciated the aesthetic of that Lovecraftian feel Mm -hmm. and that kind of Victorian grim horror... Uh, aesthetic but it's just because it's a Souls game I'm just no good at it yeah. never have been never will be and I've made my peace with that now after we tried to play Dark Souls 3 for a little while that was painful oh my god it was painful but you know what I beat a Dark Souls boss you did I can go to the grave you have that. that one over me indeed and never happen again no <laughs> Uh, um, but just just yeah, just to yeah. point out that that Ratchet and Clank game is really really good. Yeah. Um, did you get around to playing? I played it? about half of it. I think. Okay. Um, I mean, even with and half. it's good, but I tend to use those kind of like character action or platformer games as a kind of palette cleanser from yeah, playing something yeah. more serious. I, in, in fairness, there's a one-two Bloodborne and Ratchet and Clank is mm. about as like polar opposite as you, as yeah, you can get. It really is. Uh, they know what they were doing. They're with that keeping one. that in mind. That like when you just need to chill the fuck out, yeah. you go back to your Ratchet and Clank. But um, but definitely would recommend um, seeing that one through to the end yeah I really really like that game and it was only I think it was only like 30 quid when it came out yeah um, never saw the film uh, I think it was passable yeah I remember um, moving on it's the first birthday of Horizon Zero Dawn that year wasn't half quick about coming around I know right 
Um, and Sony have announced that Horizon Zero Dawn has sold 7.6 million copies to date. Um, Guerrilla Games Open World RPG is the best-selling new first-party franchise in PlayStation 4 history, which is That's five good. years I, this year. I watched about half of the No Clip documentary yeah. on that. It's a really good game. Um, I still haven't played it. I... I feel like at some point I should get around to doing mm. that but again just finding the fucking time to do yeah. that it's a very challenging game but it's very good um, it's only like the only flaw with that game is that it came out last year in the year of all the games mm. uh, and it came out two weeks before Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and like I played Horizon Zero Dawn pretty hardcore for ten days, and then I got Breath of the Wild, and I did not come back to that game for fucking months, you know. Um, but it's definitely worth a look. It's a fucking, it's an incredible looking game. Um, plays very well. Like I said, very very challenging. We we've talked about it on the show before when I when I got the game. But um, but the, I mean the thing fair is, play to them. It's good to see like first party new IP doing so well rather than just oh here's Uncharted Five and it's cool here's... for fucking kill zone i was gonna say here's kill zone whatever and i like some of the kill zone games but it's um very much this is more what gorilla are capable of gorilla were capable of so much more than a first person military shooter yeah exactly this is uh if they have to hang their heads on something you know this is the the hold the hats right on something it will be this because just kill zone was so a by the numbers military shooter Mm. you know um, in a world where we have enough fucking by the number yeah. shooters, yeah. the problem was that it was like a kind of uh, a grey washed military shooter that came out before the market was ready for the first. The first two were kind of when we were still doing World War Two a lot, and when we were doing sci fi ones, we were doing very bright, colourful sci fi shooters. And then by the time Modern Warfare came in and changed the whole game, Killzone looked behind the times. Oh yeah. Um, so even though a couple of the entr- entries in that series, like I really liked the second one and I thought Shadowfall that came out, uh, as a PS4 launch game was pretty, pretty good and a very good, uh, a very impressive, uh, visual flexing of the PS4's muscles at launch. Um, it was probably the best looking of the PS4 launch games. Um, but yeah, Horizon Zero Dawn, absolutely phenomenal, uh, delighted for them that they that they have this success and that uh we don't have there's proof positive here that people will buy new ip if time and effort is put into it and it's very good and also single player games not being dead yeah Woohoo! <laughs> take that ea um moving on from that uh just a just a brief word here that outlast um the kind oh, of that dropped, on the switch today. Game dropped on the switch yeah. just kind of i don't know where really that's um, a common thing with the switch yeah yeah <laughs> Um, you ever played Outlast? No. Uh, yeah, you're not a big Come on horror now. guy. What kind of questions that? Uh, for those of you who haven't, just basically imagine the, 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 the basic gameplay style of um, Alien Isolation, but in an insane asylum. That's what you're dealing with here. Yeah, with, like, that sounds great. Camera, whether it's a handheld camera or a cell phone camera. I can't remember. There was a lot of games around that time that came out with that kind of like being lit by a cell phone. or, or Basically, a... it's like, here's Slender Man, but different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, next, uh, some rough news for children of the 80s and 90s. Toys R Us has gone into administration. Yeah. Uh, so has Maplin. So, so dads of the world are depressed. I feel like 
the Toys R Us going into administration story has happened once before. Yeah, so administration typically um, doesn't spell out the end of a brand or a business. No. So the difference between uh, administration and liquidation, which a lot of people will think... um, administration will get confused with liquidation liquidation is basically someone comes in strips all the assets sells the whole thing it's yeah. all closed it's all shuttered it's all get gone. what you can out of it and yeah administration is when um a, a business or a chain of businesses have taken on um debts that they can't repay so the court appoints an administrator a financial expert to come in strip enough assets out to outweigh the, the the debts so pay off all the debtors and then see what's left at the end um ideally they would try and leave some elements of the business intact but while the administrator is in there the people who own the business have literally no say in how the business is run so the administrator can come in and can sack like there's still three thousand employees of toys r us in the uk and the administrator would be well within their rights to sack all of them and close every single store mm. if that's what they decided to do to offset the costs uh, but most administrators will try to cut as few jobs as po- like most administrators who are good at their jobs will try to cut as few jobs as possible and keep some element of the business intact at the end. Um, so there, as of now with with Toys R Us, the the a lot of the stores are starting to shutter. The bigger ones that aren't operating um, at a at a profit and uh the website is still running there's apparently huge sales going on, on the website which you'd imagine tried to sell off a bunch of the stock yeah uh, because even if they do shutter for a while and then reopen the thing about toys is that your 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 stock is going to be outdated by the time you reopen if that's what you do um so selling off the stock is a quick way to generate a quick bit of income um it's not completely the end of the world yet for Toys R Us, but it looks like the the way that they're describing this administration is going, it looks like there'll be very few stores open by the end of this. Yeah, I mean, my this, this is very reminiscent of what happened to Game. I I had a Toys R Us store that Toys R Us store that was about mm, half hour drive from me, and mm. I always found Toys R Us to be a bit weird. Uh, like, I'd never buy games from there. Everything seems kind of like game stores in the actual store uh, in terms of price and and you know that's usually the case with brick and mortar stores uh brick and brick and mortar stores these day these days and um because of you know supermarkets certainly the bigger supermarket stores um that have their games and toys sections um kind of like the way they have with books and your local bookstores couldn't compete i think it's kind of the same thing with uh with the toys r us as well mm. and you keep in mind stuff like uh, amazon probably doesn't help and I, I i feel there's a lot of uh, factors that go into this um it doesn't come as much of a surprise um and also if i'm being perfectly honest my local toys r us store Never really got a good vibe from the uh, people that work there. But that might have just been my local one, so... Um, Maplin as well, which is more of a kind of, like... That's for... It's not really a video game thing unless you're really, really into, like, modding your console or doing very specific things. Like, for me, the biggest problem with Maplin is that a lot of the wires I I, I buy are Maplin wires. um, And if the the capture gear i had priced for us was in maplin as well because there's a few of those stores in ireland 
Um, so it's sad to see that like they're not quite an administration yet, but it looks like it probably will happen sooner rather than later, uh, which is a bad, bad time. Best of luck to all those. Yeah. Um, the ESRB, Mark, has decided in a move that will surely solve everything that they're going to add warning labels to games with microtransactions. Games containing microtransactions will now feature a warning label in America. The move is part of a fresh push by the ESRB, the board which gives age ratings to games in the United States, Canada and Mexico, to better educate parents on the ways children can spend money within games. All games which offer some way of spending further money will be branded with the label from those which offer blind loot boxes and flog in-game currency to those which simply offer the ability to buy a season pass or DLC pack. In other words, this will affect most games. The label will appear on game boxes and the product pages of digital stores where games can be downloaded. The ESRB decision comes after months of headlines surrounding microtransactions in games and a heated debate over whether loot boxes constitute gambling. Um... I'm of sure two minds. this will fix it. I'm of two minds on this. Um, number one, I think it's um, always a good move to put as much information on the box about the product you're purchasing to inform as best possible the walk-in consumer. So obviously they're not going to be fully informed on everything, all the good and bad juju about microtransactions just by looking at this warning on the box, but they're going to be aware that maybe there's something they should look into before just blindly buying the game. So that part, thumbs up for that. Um, but the other part of that is, Mark, we lived through the 90s. We lived through the foundation of the ASRB. And how did age ratings affect the games you were buying growing up? I mean, I worked in a supermarket. And uh, to be quite honest, if a kid wanted to buy a game, nine times out of ten, they could just buy it anyway. Yep. Or usually their parent would be next to them. And in fairness, like proxy sales were always a bit of an awkward thing um even with uh like alcohol the way that works in yeah. the uk is quite interesting well, a- alcohol i, I find is-, is something that they they actually do enforce whereas this is well very again because enforced. of proxy sales it's a bit it's like the you can probably tell what's happening but you can't do anything about it because it is still of the consent of the adult that's purchasing it but yes when it comes to games when it comes to age ratings uh, i mean this is different because like the age rating is meant to be a restriction the 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 information of hey this has loot boxes is meant to be guidance and information Mm -hmm. so the the fact or what its purpose is is a little bit different i don't think it makes a blind bit of difference um but hey they feel like they're doing something they're accomplishing something again literally i think it's good to have the info on there but i still think it'll be easy to ignore of course Uh, i think what you need to do is is kind of restrict the taking the piss element of microtransactions if you're going to do something progressive about it um because again we live through the era where age restrictions were put on games but most places unless they felt like being dickheads or going on a power trip would let a child buy a game that they weren't supposed to be able to buy um like i was able to buy grand theft auto games by myself as a teenager um same with dvds and stuff like that it didn't really no one ever really paid attention to my age didn't matter Uh, i had money they want to get rid of the stock um so yeah i don't think it's really going to solve anything and also I'm, i'm all for as 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 much as you can convey information to people at point of sale boom but also there is this thing that um you know we live in a rational country where um 
people are aware that we're not actually going to go into a school and shoot someone up because we played a violent video game. Mm-hmm. But that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> okay, Jack Thompson. Sorry, well, you know. <laughs> uh, Square's classic RPG, Chrono Trigger, <laughs> oh, is now available oh, on PC. Oh my god, I was following this for the day on Twitter. Mark, oh, something was not quite right about this port. Do you want to <laughs> Do you want to talk us through what you saw? Oh, so... Chrono Trigger dropped on Steam and there was a, a collective uh, loss of people's shit at the concept of this. And um, uh, Nibel, uh quote tweeted someone who was uh, kind of giving their impressions of what they were seeing. And basically what's happened is that I don't know who's done the port of this, uh, how much involved Square Enix are with this, but um, effectively, they have ported the mobile version mm-hmm. of Chrono Trigger. Now, there is uh, a common theme um, from a lot of the classic JRPGs that the mobile ports are quite shit because they look like they're done in, you know, my first RPG maker type game uh, because the text boxes are massive and look ugly because they look like... Um, you know, for I for I think for the iOS ones, they use like the actual kind of iOS boxes and text, and it just it, it's a real jarring uh, juxtaposition between that classic retro art style and these just awful looking boxes. They just it, it's really garish. Um, I think it, it had like the mobile touch controls were still applied in some form. I think. Um, and yeah, it's just it's a busted port of a busted game. And it really, like, how they couldn't come up with a way to have um, the original version. Just just fucking use an emulator for crying out loud, you know? It's not that tough anymore. Um, So, yeah, so seeing the kind of the curve going upwards of hype and then how quickly that dropped back off in the span of about six hours, uh, I laughed. I laughed heartedly. Uh, There was a Russian TV station who aired a report on the war in Syria. Uh, and accidentally, instead of using actual footage, used footage from Arma 3. Now, this is not the first time that this has happened. No. Was it... ITV, I believe. ITV and... Had a documentary called Did Gaddafi Sell Arms to the IRA? That's the one. Because Darrow Breen did a bit about this. That's the one. And they they had this footage that they thought was from an arms deal but it was actually from Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. <laughs> was there one that you... And I believe his point in that stand-up bit was like, how stupid were you to think that the IRA have a uniform? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that says a lot about the English, let's uh-huh. be fair. I want to say, was there one that used footage from Far Cry 2? I'm probably making that up. I want to think that... I want to say that one of the uh, American news broadcasters may have used footage at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> what can you say? Just As noted by idiots. the BBC, the suspicious footage was edited into a segment celebrating members of the country's armed forces on a weekly programme, uh, Voskrenoi Vremia, which airs on Russia's state-run Channel 1 TV. At one point of the video, a truck is, being, uh, is shown being targeted through a gun site. While the clip's appearance was brief enough to pass unnoticed by most, users of Russia's Reddit-like community site Peekaboo 
were a little more observant, quickly identifying footage as being from developer Bohemia Interactive's Arma 3. Channel 1 later explained that the use of this frame was a mistake by the video editing director who took it from the archive. It seems that the Arma 3 clip originally made its way into the station's news catalogue as part of a segment on video games. Of course, the Russian media does have a bit of a history with that sort of thing. Last November, for instance, the Russian Ministry of Defense released a supposedly uh, an image supposedly proving that U.S. forces were collaborating with ISIS, which quickly transpired to be a screenshot from video game AC-130 Gunship Simulator. Three years before that, Russian government-funded TV network RT aired a screenshot from Metal Gear Solid V The Phantom Pain as part of a report on African child soldiers. Uh, these kind of errors aren't limited to Russian media, of course. Back in 2013, a Danish television channel apologised after showing an Assassin's Creed screenshot during a news report in Syria. In the UK, ITV Wait, also... Assassin's Creed? What fucking Assassin's Creed game? Uh, I have no idea, it doesn't say. <laughs> uh, in the UK, ITV also struggled to tell Arma from real life mistakenly. Uh, I was Arma 2. Airing clips from Arma 2 in a 1988... A segment on a 1988 IRA terrorist Tell you what, it's just good PR for Arma. And who can forget that time? And this is my favourite one. <laughs> I thought this was the one you were going to say. That BBC News mistook the Halo UNSC logo for that of the UN Security Council. Ah. <laughs> Look, now, Metal Gear Solid and 5... People, people think fact-checkers aren't important. Metal Gear Solid 5 is a good-looking game. Yeah, all right? and it does have child soldiers in it. It certainly does. Um, although, so does Metal Gear Revengeance. But, you know... Um, actually, uh, fucking hell, Metal Gear Revengeance. What a weird game. Anyway. Um, state-run propaganda news does something that <laughs> has a whiff of state-run propaganda about it. I mean, anyone surprised here? taking off his tinfoil hat to scratch himself. I mean, come on. Come on now. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'd have preferred if they'd gone, like, all out and used footage from, say, like, Fortnite or something. <laughs> you know, get on the hype wagon. Hey, Mark. Let's take a hop, skip, and a happy jump into Konami Corner. Oh, Jesus. Konami. We got some good karmic retribution coming out of Konami Corner this week, Mark, as Metal Gear Solid spin-off Metal Gear Survive has flopped to upon the release in the UK. Of who exactly? It placed sixth in Chart Track's official rundown, which tracks physical it copies sold only. Better than I thought it would do. Survive obviously shipped at a fraction of the copies that uh, box copies that Metal Gear Solid Five did, although at very, as very different animals, the comparison is somewhat unfair. However, compare Survive's launch with Rising, another Metal Gear spin-off, and notable, uh, it's notable Survive sold 85% fewer copies than Metal Gear Rising Revengeance in its launch week. Uh, its success on Steam is a little harder and to pin down. And I was one of those idiots that bought Revengeance as well. Its success on Steam is a little harder to pin down, but it's currently way down the list uh, of games sorted by current players in 65th place within days of launch. Behind H1Z1, Europa Universalis 4, and Human Fall Flat, which at the time of writing, uh, oh, only 4,000 people are playing this game on Steam worldwide. I mean, look, right, so... <laughs> Eurogamer did not recommend this game in our review. <laughs> <laughs> there was no hype for this game coming out. There was anti-hype. There was anti-hype. Because everyone, naturally, even I, as someone who's not you know, an ardent Metal Gear fan could look at this and go okay 
Right, I mean, this is a cash grab of the highest order of, hey, uh-huh. slap the IP on this and uh, let's run with it. Because I think a lot of people are saying, well, I mean, it looks kind of okay, maybe, but why the fuck is it called Metal Gear? Now, we know why, obviously, it was called Metal Gear, because Konami have the license and they want to try and make some money out of it with Kojima off to do his fucking mad nonsense with Mads Mikkelsen and uh, Del Toro and fair play to him. Yeah, I mean, well, what is the surprise here? What What is the actual news here? Oh, just, haha. <laughs> fuck them. Oh, fair enough. Okay, sure. There's no news, just okay. fuck them. Right. Like, fuck them in the ear. I think that I'm may be a... really f- happy about that, it. That may be a first in Konami Corner. <laughs> what? You, well, A, the fact that, that we're... I'm happy, but I'm we're, happy to be in Konami Corner. We're happy to be in Konami Corner, yeah, yeah maybe. That is true. <laughs> um, speaking of which, it looks like the Konami staff left a secret message in Metal Gear Survive. Uh, from deep, Go play anything else. From deep within the bowels of Konami, there comes a howl. It looks like developers of Metal Gear Survive, the first in the long-running series to come out post-Kojima Konami, uh, have left a message at the front of the game, marking a moment of respect for those that went before them. Upon creating your character in the game, you're shown a glimpse of a clipboard that features yourself and your fellow soldiers, and keen-eyed Redditors have spotted that the first letters of the initials of a succession of them spells out KGP Forever, Kojima Productions. An apparent reference to Kojima Productions, uh, Hideo Kojima's outfit that was once an integral part of the Konami development team. The references don't end there. The last two names on the list, both marked as AWOL, are Bastard Yota and Cunning Yuji, perhaps references to Metal Gear Survive's director, Yota Sumazaki, and producer Yuji Korokado. Um, so that's kind of... <laughs> just just in the... like Just as this kind of like... The long-suffering developers, the ones that managed to endure the Kojima exodus, still want to give him a shout-out in the game, as if the man didn't give himself enough shout-outs in Metal Gear Solid Five with his name appearing in the credits at the start and end of every single mission in and that game. And as if the man could give any amount of fucks at this point in time. Yeah, man, he's doing weird umbilical cord stuff <laughs> somewhere with that fucked-up Death Strand and shit. Yeah. Can't wait to see another mad trailer for that this year. Oh, yeah, I wonder if we get gameplay footage this year. We might. We might get some, like, very early. I mean, we're, what, two years into this now? It'll be nearly two years, yeah. Yeah. Man, how the f... Just yeah, there'll be two E3s since we saw it first. Like, I feel like that was only last month I was watching that first mm-hmm. trailer. With that bang in June. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's one from the past. Uh, dropping on Xbox One this week, Turok and Turok 2 from the N64. Yeah, but where's Turok Rage Wars? Oh, well, probably. This is just laying the groundwork, my friend. I remember Turok, the cult classic 90s Nintendo 64 dinosaur-hunting first-person shooters hit Xbox One Friday, the 2nd of March. Uh, they both came out in enhanced form on Microsoft console, priced fifteen ninety-nine each after popping up on PC in 2015 and 2017, respectively. Have a gander at the graphics work done in the video below. So there's a little trailer that's up on YouTube. I will you have, have a look. look. Now, because we played through about an hour and a bit of the original Turok, in our yeah. failed attempt to play all the N64 games. Ooh, yeah. That was when we were starting to realise that uh, not all of those ROMs were great. <laughs> well, there is that. Um, I think that one was one of the ones that held up fairly well, I think. Um, but definitely one of those games where it's like, uh, hey, here's Fog. Here is us trying to save on uh, storage space and RAM space by uh, using Fog. Which, you know, was a technique of the games of that time and a clever way of limiting the amount of shit that was on the screen to make the game run smoother. And that was what you had to do, which is Mm -hmm. fair enough. Uh, But the game as a whole, I don't know, 
it <laughs> just has not aged well. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious to see what uh, like this or, version or plays like. Did you play the the was it I guess a soft reboot that came out on the PS3? No, I, think I did it was not. One? No, you didn't. I was never a big Tarot guy growing up. It was like, the one that whenever I'd read it in Nintendo official magazine and it was spoke of in odd tones, I was like, really? Yeah. Uh, and he's like, I had Goldeneye, you know. Yeah. Um, finally, a story for this week. There's a short film out about Papers, Please. Yes, I, I haven't seen it, but I did see that that was a thing that exists. So you can check it out on YouTube and it will arrive on Steam. Uh, it's a 10-minute film. Uh, nails the look uh, and feel of super of this superb dystopian document thriller, which is a great turn of phrase. Uh, like the video game, the Papers, Please film is a border control thriller. The unnamed uh, inspector from the video game is played by Igor Savochin, a Russian actor who starred in Leviathan and Nightwatch. Like the game, the film is set entirely at the Greston border, control checkpoint, and references the fictional community country of Arstozka. <laughs> never said that word out loud before. I've seen a bunch in the game. Never said that out loud before. Arstozka. We'll sure. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty cool little film. I imagine it's uh, it visually or tonally has a kind of Orwellian vibe to it, yeah. I'd imagine. Um, I'm sure it's a great laugh. Yeah, a real hoot. Yeah. That's for damn sure. Anyway, that's going to do it for the news this week. Uh, we're going to head into the Link to the Cast Book Club. Uh, that part of every show where we talk about a game from the past that you should play for the first time or play again if you have played it, but it's been a while. Um, and this week is a weird one. i got to say, I've pulled another strange one out of the locker as we talk about 1995's Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd is an action video game for the Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, Game Gear, and Game Boy, originally released in 1995. The game is loosely based on the 1995 film Judge Dredd, which was a spin-off from the Judge Dredd strip in 2000 AD. The game features run-and-gun gameplay with a variety of weapons. The player is given a choice to either execute criminals or arrest them. Levels range from the futuristic city known as Mega City 1, a prison, a post-nuclear wasteland, ruins, and a showdown with the rogue, rogue judge Rico. Uh, in the 22nd century, everybody lives in urban areas of the world, and this is the, uh, the, the, the setting for the, the Judge Dredd mythos. Uh, these these mega cities and mega city one in particular where a lot of the the judge dread antics are based mark this is a really this is a, a left field pick i, I i'm gonna it, presume that this is just a game that you played from your childhood yes yeah uh now and I'm, surprisingly when i look because i picked it I, I picked it without doing any research on what people think of this game it turns out People quite liked it. Now, I'm going to um, just lay this out for you here. That I have actually, in any form of media, 
Uh, I have no uh, experience with Judge Dredd. I've never watched any of the films. Really? I've never read any of the comics. All I know about Judge Dredd is at some point Sylvester Stallone played him and mm-hmm. apparently wasn't that great. And that's what this game is based on, weirdly enough. Yes, And yes. in spite of that, it's good. And apparently the new Dredd film was really good. because oh, it was so a little good. bit. It was, it was a lot like that. Um, it was a lot like Judge Dredd. No, it was a lot like... What was the... Uh, the Raid. The Raid, yes. Yeah. That's it, yeah. Which I have seen. It yeah. is awesome. Um, so... Judge Dredd is the the probably the most famous character coming out of the 2000 AD imprint, which is the most famous running comics imprint in the UK. So Judge Dredd, is, in spite of being a very almost uh, American conservative fascist wet dream, uh, is actually a UK character considered probably a. Um, a a satire or parody of that law and order point of view that mm. is expressed a lot in America. Um, and it, it's a very successful, it has been for many, many years, a very successful cult comic book that has had a huge following. And in the 1990s, it got adapted for film, as as you pointed out, in a, a very, very bad film. Starring... At a time when comic book adaptations were not at their high point. No, we had, Tim Burton's Batman was and the Dick Donner Superman had happened and the 90s was kind of an arms race to do everyone else uh, so there was a really bad Captain America film that was in the early 90s I don't remember that yeah no a lot of people because it didn't really get a theatrical release um, it's really really bad uh, towards the end of the 90s is when we started to get X-Men Spider-Man when people started to figure it out and yeah. Blade as well was mid to late 90s Blade well, yeah that was what started to turn the corner I feel like that mid-90s period was a lot of the... And I, my reference point mainly is the Joel Schumacher Batman films, but mm. let's make some films where we can merchandise the shit out mm-hmm. of these. Because we had Spawn as well. Spawn um, from yeah. Todd McFarlane, who is not a man adverse to the idea of merchandising the fuck and prostituting the, uh. the characters he's created. Um, But Judge Dredd, yeah. So it, it became this film that had Sly Stallone as the eponymous Judge Dredd. And uh, one of the, the main problems people had with the film, apart from the fact that he was utter pants, was that he took the helmet off an awful lot because Sly Stallone wants to show Sly Stallone's face if he's going to be in a movie and Judge Dredd is not supposed to take the helmet off. Okay. Um, and it was also very, even for Sly Stallone, who I, I like, in the right movie, Sly Stallone is great. Hey, look, it was Rocky Balboa. My hey, God. And I, re- I watched, uh, rewatched, should I say, Creed last week. What a fucking movie that is. Yeah. It's I, so yeah. good. Um, but in this, he was chewing all the scenery. Like the the the, the, the famous Judge Red line of I am the law was delivered. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so you can, you can, you check that. There's a very famous episode of How Did This Get Made? The the podcast about okay. terrible movies about Judge Dredd because the... I don't know if you remember who Sly Stallone's co-star in that movie was. Do you have any chance? I don't know anything about the film, Pops. Rob Schneider. Oh. 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 <laughs> well, he was in uh, Demolition Man as well. So... And now, I want to say this would have been post-Demolition Man because I feel like that was 92 or early 90s. Uh, I think. Let me check. Um... So Judd, this was ninety four, ninety five. The, the the game was nineteen ninety five. Okay, the so the movie, film would probably have been like ninety four. Uh, the movie was nineteen ninety five as well. Okay, and then uh, demo. I want to say Demolition Man was ninety two. Demolition Man was nineteen ninety three. No, no, so this okay. was not long after it. Right. 
Uh, this is when Wesley Snipes, after Demolition Man, was on the ascent, and Sly Stallone was on the descent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this is not quite. St- well, it probably is stop where my mom will shoot levels of bad uh, for Sly Stallone. But anyway, um, this game then comes out, and and the nineties was also the peak of if it's a movie, there is a game. Oh Jesus! Between like the 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 Atari up till um, the PS3. Not to the PS3, definitely. Because Wolverine Origins had a game. But certainly in the the early 90s to mid 90s for the Mega Drive and the SNES, um, everything had a fucking port at some point. And I quickly, before we started doing this, I watched a little bit of of footage of this game. Mm. And uh, two things came very apparent. A, it's definitely a SNES game. Yeah. You know a SNES game, not even when you see it, but when you hear it. Yeah. You know what a SNES game sounds like. Same with the Mega Drive. Yeah. And second, it really reminded me of the Super Star Wars game mm. uh, in terms of uh, just the way it looked and played yeah. and also because it had Mode 7 and there were the bits with yeah. uh, Star Wars that did that. Um, but I looked into, you know, who made this. Um, it's by Probe, um, yeah. who did the uh, Mega Drive games, uh, the Mega Drive Mortal Kombat games. Um, they did uh, Extreme G, which was a game that I really liked on the N64. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're a developer that I am aware of and do have a bit of progress behind them. So, yeah, um, yeah that's pretty much all I have to say yeah, about yeah. this. So, so, so this game came out, and, like, because of Mode 7 and stuff like that, you can tell that it's not just a SNES game, but, like, a late-era SNES game, because there's a level of detail ascribed to the character sprites and things like that, and the backgrounds and the weather effects and, and such in this game that you wouldn't have gotten in the early SNES era. Like, it's... it's much as you can you can smell or, or tell a, a SNES game when you see it, you can also tell latter day SNES games from early SNES games apart, and um, just based on the amount of complex things that they're doing. Yeah. Uh, so you've got because of the mode seven, you've got the artificial three D going on with the background. You've got what I think is an incredibly well drawn sprite for Judge Dredd. Uh, and as well, you've got different weather effects, like I said, going on. So there can be like just lashing rain going on a lot in this game to kind of give it the dour there's there's a lot of kind of um dour imagery associated with with judge dread and that universe but um like the, the the intro said it's kind of a run and gun sort of game um like i wouldn't call it uh, beat em up by any stretch of the imagination it doesn't move as fast paced no it's, it's uh, as a running game yeah because the the levels in it there are 12 levels um they're fucking huge for a start they're really really big levels i really love the the background environment the, the environmental work that was done uh they what they did was for uh, how many of it was there the um seven of them yeah so for seven of the 12 levels in the game they actually took set photos from the judge dread movie for better or worse and they digitized them uh, to make the kind of the, the game mirror the movie that bit. And then for the remaining five, they actually went back to the source material to the comic books and designed a further five levels based on art from the comic books. So it, it's clear that even though they were basing it off a terrible movie, there was attention to detail being paid uh, to it. One of the things at the time, because this was, again, the, the start of the heyday for violent games in the mid 1990s. One of the things I really appreciated about it that kind of went against the core is that for for all your generic enemies, not so much the bosses, um, you could shoot them, you could kick them to bits, or you could just arrest them. So there was a... I mean, you are the law. You could... 
I just love saying it. <laughs> but uh, you could just point a gun at them. They'll put their hands up. It'll say guilty. And you walk up, you press. I can't remember which one of the face buttons you press. And they basically take a knee, get handcuffed. And this little kind of uh, floating platform comes in and scoops them away. It's a really cool little, like, if you want to take your time. Because obviously then you get a points bonus for non-violent uh, arrests. Boy, this just sounds like a totalitarian nightmare. It's, oh, it, yeah, well, that's Judge Dredd. Uh, the two of fucking tea, my friend. Like, as long as you get that it's not supposed to be seriously yeah. idolizing these kind of things. But anyway, like, these judges are, they dis- they dispatch justice in a lot of ways. The reason they're called judges is because they're basically, they're the cops, as in they go prosecute the crimes, but they also execute the sentence, and I mean execute, if they feel it's uh-huh. appropriate. Uh-huh. Um... So, yeah, like I said, the levels are huge. Because of the being able to arrest versus the running and gunning and shooting. So, obviously, there's a trade-off. So, you can either get the bonus for not killing regular enemies at the end of the level, or you can get the bonus for doing it as quickly as possible, which requires you to shoot all of them. Yeah. Uh, there's a surprising array of weapons in terms of, like, how the weapon... Uh, like, the type of weapon it is and how that, like, kind of in a like a Metroid or Axiom Verge sort of way. Uh, like, just, you have weapons that have a big spray or that are, like, direct or rapid fire or things like that, which, for the time, still a little bit unusual for a standard run-and-gun game to have such a diverse way of... Uh, of, of a diverse range of weaponry, yeah. should I say. Just to go back to your point there about choosing between whether you want to um, shoot the, the, the enemies or to arrest them, like, mm-hmm. is there anything to it uh, is there anything that changes um, in the world or the end game, or is it purely just based on like the points that you get differs between how you want to execute your? It's yeah, gameplay? it's from what I remember. Again, I haven't played this game since the mid to late nineties. Um, from what I remember, it doesn't actually change the the events of the game, but it because especially because you still have to gun down bosses. There's yeah, because no it, it, it does it. sound like the type of mechanic that, if implemented today, it would yeah. very much have like an effect on either the story. Oh or, yeah, yeah, know, yeah, the world yeah. around you. Proper like you know, uh, what is it? Harvest or save? Yeah, isn't yeah, that yeah, the yeah. the option in Bioshock, the original one? Um, so. Yeah, like, what it does, having that duality to it encourages replay in a very interesting way, because you can see which, like, will my attempting to run and gun, as the the genre suggests, will my attempting to run and gun, uh, am I good enough to outscore my run of just arresting people, um... The environments are fun to explore, as I said, because they're, they're that massive. I really do enjoy, as you said, you can, you can hear and you know an S game when you hear it I do enjoy the uh, the, the sounds this game makes the pew pew, pew. Yeah, yeah. It's, very often time yeah. but there's a very satisfying like foley work done on the I'm pretty the sure that firing sound is like just someone going pew 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 well no but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that is an mp3 or a, a drop that is in about 10 different games because it sounds I'd like, it's like very the, it's like the Wilhelm scream of <laughs> mid 90s gun effects um but yeah, I I really appreciate this game. And another thing that I kind of want to talk about is that it's very unusual for there to be a really good game based on a really bad movie. Because generally, the rule in the 90s was either bad game ga- based on good movie or just bad game. Well, you know I what I mean? Th- I think also... What Especially you, if it's directly trying to pattern itself off the movie as opposed to... What you also get as well a lot of the time is... A game that's being made alongside the movie. Yeah. So the people making the game obviously have no fucking clue. They have nothing to kind of work off of. They yeah. only have the actual original IP, if 
there is an, a, a, or an original source material to work with, which in the case of Judge Dredd there is, mm. um, I would presume that the game doesn't really follow the film in any way. It's just, hey, it's Judge Dredd. Yeah, like there's a spiel at the, at the start that ex- that's, explains the setting of the world and then you just run through environments that look like they're from the movie or the yeah. comics. Um, but uh, like apart from that, it kind of leaves you to it. Um it's not the most original game in the world. Like you've seen these concepts pretty much done before in other games. Uh, but the thing that makes it pretty damn good is just, it's very playable. It's, it's just easy to pick up and understand what's going on straight away. It feels good. It feels satisfying to play on the SNES. And I'll get to why I say on the SNES in a second. Um, the the one thing that people talked about that at the time in the 90s was kind of prohibitive to people but now I think in hindsight might make it a better game for people is that the boss battles are very very difficult though. yeah um, very very difficult that was kind of marked off it in the, the reviews I looked up at the time they just went like most of this game is a blast to play but kind of the if you're running and gunning and going through quickly things slow down to a fucking halt when the bosses come in because the bosses are so difficult to beat how were were they like um, would the screen expand out was there how how the bosses kind of I don't remember it? all like I don't think it would be like necessarily like a giant metroid boss kind of situation yeah. where like you said ex- screen expands out but i couldn't say that for all of them to be sure like a lot of them like, were just really hardy and obviously because it's a video game boss in 1990s they're bigger than you yeah yeah because <laughs> for example say like in metal slug uh pretty mm. much everything happens on the one screen there's no expansion out so you yeah, just yeah. have like a wall in front of you that you had to fire at um so so they were considered difficult and then the the other thing that kind of makes this a little bit forgotten is that every other port of the game so it came out on Game Gear it came out on uh, Sega Genesis and it came out on MS-DOS as well <laughs> Jesus yeah um, and all of those other ports were considered considerably inferior specifically and I thought this was fun because at the time this is still during the console wars um, where anything that appeared on both Genesis and Nintendo was put under a harsh comparative light and you know this was Aladdin the, come on yeah this was the this was the era of like oh my god there's no blood in Nintendo Mortal Kombat you know um it was interesting to see that this was a game that it wasn't even close the Nintendo version of this game was better and, and the the mode 7 I'm sure had a more than a little bit to do with that in terms of how it felt uh, and how it moved and uh, in particular reviewers at the time noticed that just the Genesis version felt like garbage to handle it just didn't con- the ma- the control mapping was terrible on the Genesis port which is very very curious yeah um but before we we sum up there uh, before we kind of uh run out here I wanted to talk about that that kind of legacy of, of licensed games what are some of the, like, hey, the best could, and worst that you remember we could do a whole fucking yeah oh, we will because like, this is the, this has inspired me to think about doing this as a topic like licensed yeah. games but uh, do you want good me, ones or bad me, ones give, give me one or two of each off the top of your head okay not necessarily directly based off a movie but based off like a licensed property okay um I'll go for the more older ones, but so Batman on the NES, mm-hmm. um, which was the first good Batman game, and is um, it was by Capcom. It was a side-scrolling platformer, shock and horror, uh, brutally difficult. Like you would think that Mega Man Two is where I got my training for side-scrolling platformers. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, no, <laughs> it was that fucking first Batman game. Let yeah. me tell you. Um, 
Probe actually did the Die Hard trilogy game on the, the original PlayStation, which was a really interesting game because it was like three games in one, and they were totally different. Like uh, Die Hard, set in the tower, is um, uh, like a kind of over-the-shoulder shooter. Um, Die Hard Two was a first-person shooter, kind of akin to like a, a Virtua Cop, and then Die Hard Through Die Hard, sorry, Die Hard Three uh, was um, kind of like Driver on the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Um, going around New York. So that was a really, really good uh, licensed game as well. And obviously for terrible ones, you have Street Fighter, the movie, the game, uh-huh. which, I mean, come on now, yeah, you know. Um, Batman Forever on the Super Nintendo is one of the worst games, and I have to sit you down at some point and make you play that. Because it's terrible because, A... It's a Mortal Kombat cl- clone disguised as a side scroll and beat 'em up, which just doesn't work. Yeah. And two, I want to sit you down to see if you can figure out how the fuck to control that game because nothing makes sense about how you like used a grappling hook, for example. Um, and then there was a bunch of other Batman games that were kind of like eh, average. Um, oh, Superman sixty four is Ooh, you know yeah that was one of mine legendary in its yeah. terribleness. There was an Aquaman game on the GameCube, yeah. which is Superman sixty four but underwater. Which, in fairness, Superman sixty four controls like you're underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a terrible, terrible Terminator game on the NES. Yeah, um, and then you can still get up in the rage. You can get the the Terminator. Two, is was there a Terminator Two SNES? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, you can still get the Terminator Two SNES bundle that's unboxed, huh? Or that's boxed. I mean, that was probably SNES. fine because that was probably kind of playing off of like what those SNES mo- mm. uh, platform running guns were doing at the time. And then there's obviously there's the most legendary one, which is ET, mm-hmm. which you know nearly killed yeah. the video games industry. <laughs> Indeed, as we talked about, because we covered that documentary, didn't we? As a book club, did we do that? Yeah, I feel like we at least talked about it. We've probably discussed it at some point. Um, I also want to add in, I loved um, Lord of the Rings Two Towers on my PS2. I oh, got that, yeah. I got it that Christmas. That was a lot of fun. Um, the 007 games have had a real hit and miss history. So I remember The World Is Not Enough, because I remember yeah. the first bit is the bit with the skiing. Yeah. Um, actually, no, I remember playing Tomorrow Never Dies and was like, well, this isn't GoldenEye, I don't want to play this. So then so then, the PS2 era had a bunch of Bond games that were based on the Bond cinematic universe, but not based on any Bond game. Oh, yeah. Or any Bond movie, should I say, individually. And those were real patchy. So, like, Agent Under Fire, I think, was the first one I remember. And that, I remember being a really, really nice-looking game, but it handled, like, trash. Yeah. And particularly, there's a lot of car sections, because one of the big selling points is like, oh, we got the this exact model of Aston Martin that you're going to really, really enjoy speeding around the streets of, like, Bucharest, I think, in. And, uh, yeah, it handled, like, a cinder block um, on ice. <laughs> Uh, but then there was... Do you remember 007 Nightfire? I never played it. I so, do know... So Nightfire is probably the best attempt they have made at recapturing the magic of GoldenEye. Now, it's not GoldenEye by any stretch of the imagination, but of the Bond games from that PS2 era, it's the most fun multiplayer. The multiplayer death matches on it were great. 
Uh, I had a lot of fun on it. There's one particular map I remember at like a ski lodge that I used to play on a lot. Um, and you can run around with a Moonraker laser and shit like that. I don't remember much about the campaign. And then obviously on the other side of things, there was a From Russia with Love game that I never played. <laughs> oh. That was you on know like what? PS3 maybe? We needed From Russia with Love, we needed For Your Eyes Only, and we needed Octopussy. <laughs> Just pick like the worst Bond movies and go with it. Yeah. Um, one film, uh, one game that I remembered, and it's a perfect one too of a terrible film and a terrible game. Yeah, From Russia with Love, James Bond. Uh, it was on PlayStation 2, Xbox, PSP, and GameCube. I bet that PSP version's terrible. I bet it is. Uh, bad game, uh, bad film, and bad game. Catwoman. Oh yeah. I've never played it's one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. I've never watched that film. You should. No, I it's, shouldn't. It's, it's, no. It's no. I'm good. I'd never played the game, but I've watched footage of that game being played. Yeah. And you would think that the person was actively trying to play the game bad. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's just the game is oh, that bad. Oh, you know what was a great adaptation before we wrap things up? Spider-Man Two. Yeah, Spider-Man Two was really good because it was just like here's Spider-Man, here's an open world. Fucking enjoy yourself. Yeah, yeah. And they haven't done it again since yeah. properly, but hopefully this year with Insomniac Spider-Man, we'll have a bit of fun. Yeah. Um, um, but anyway. There's a, there's a lot of... This, really this will be a book club ones. at some point, sure. I, I think. Um, to wrap up, Judge Dredd, check it out because it's a, it's a classically fun and a little bit challenging run-and-gun game from that era, that SNES era. It's got all the trappings of a, la- of a latter-day SNES game that'll just give you the warm fuzzies. And I, I'm not, I, I wonder... I wonder if there is a better game based on a worst mo- a worse movie from this era. You know what I mean? Where the, the disparity between the quality of the game and the quality of the movie is bigger during this era. It is one of the rare ones where... Yeah. Usually yeah. the way around you'll get it is there's a disparity between the movie being really good and the game being really bad, but this is completely flip-reversed. Um, so check it out just as a... Just, just out of curiosity. Um, one last bit of business to do on the podcast, Mark, and that is to talk about what we're going to do for the book club this week. Neither of us are picking this week because a very special anniversary is coming up next week uh, for your for your first podcast that we'll be doing remote from each other. I'll miss you so much. Um, no, you won't. We're going to talk about one year of the Nintendo Switch. So March the 3rd marks one year since the Nintendo Switch came out on the market. And we talked about doing this before Christmas, just having a look back at how Nintendo are the comeback kid uh, this past year. And That's the name of a really terrible punk band, by the way. It's also, uh, who else got called that, the comeback kid? Uh, Bill Clinton. Did he? The comeback kid, I mean, yeah. he's been called a lot of things. Uh, indeed. <laughs> Big Willie style, man. Jeez. <laughs> um, <laughs> Big time. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about one year of the Nintendo Switch, just to have a look back at uh, all the ups and downs of uh, the Switch since launch, uh, our favourite little console that could. Uh, and that's going to do it for episode 102 of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast on there. Subscribe, rate, review. It all helps. Linktothecast.eu is the website. If you want to get in touch with us, linktothecast.gmail.com is the email address. Uh, Social media is probably the easiest way to get in touch with us, uh, either at facebook.com forward slash linktothecast or at linktothecast on Twitter. And that way you can keep up to date on our comings and goings and the podcasts that get posted. I am at Dave Ryan IV and Mark is at Lithium Project on the tweet machine um we are part of a, a burgeoning 
Night to the Cast podcasting network here with two sister shows at the moment. Uh, our once in a while pro wrestling podcast called The Grap Up, where myself, usually Mark, usually Jack, usually Barry Murphy, uh, talk about the, the comings and goings, the twos and fros in the, the strange, strange world of professional wrestling. That drops every couple of months there's no real fixed schedule on that and then we've also got our monthly show about uh, all screens big and small the popcorn social talking about movies and sometimes tv shows when movies just chill the fuck out and stop coming out for a while um there should be another one of those dropping within a week uh fingers crossed uh we we get that out there's some some tech issues in post-production shall we say but hopefully we'll get those ironed out and that show will drop soon enough anyway that's going to do it for Link to the Cast, episode 102. I've been Dave Ryan. The man over there has been and Mark now, Winter Wonderland Robinson. The time is here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Guess the next time we speak will be uh, over the phone. Yeah, good times. Man. That's really what we needed. Less audio quality. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see you all next week. Peace. <laughs>